Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology Expert Series podcast. This is Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT. And today we're gonna to talk about the future of transatlantic data transfers. And we have with us one of the, the great experts in the field, Dr. Lothar Dieterman. Uh, Dr. Dieterman, or I'm gonna go with Lothar for now, was or is uh, a professor, uh, I guess lecturer is the right title, uh, but he's a lecturer since 2004 of computer law and data privacy at Berkeley Law. Uh, and since 1995, he's been a tenured professor um, in Germany. So he brings expertise on the academic side from both sides uh, of the Atlantic. If you look at his publications, uh, Dieterman's Field Guide to Data Privacy Law and California Privacy Law, uh, practical guide and commentary. Um, he's actually teaching out of that this semester. And uh, this semester, or next semester, he's got the California Privacy Law course that he'll be teaching at, at Berkeley Law. So um, actually, if you go through the whole list, we could spend the 15 minutes talking about the, the scope of all of his work, but I'll just leave it at this. He knows a lot about transatlantic data transfers. So thank you for coming today. Thanks for inviting me, Wayne. So what I wanted to, to turn to first is the fact that there seem to be some large fines coming out of, out of Europe these days and a slow eroding or maybe a fast eroding of some of the shields that we used to have. So the privacy shield uh, went down. You saw the safe harbor program go down in 2015. And now you're starting to see the, these new standard contract contractual clauses coming out. The real question about all of this uh, is people get nervous is, what does this mean for transatlantic data transfers? And, and what's the big picture gonna look like over the next few years for, for US companies? For US companies, uh, Biggest challenge has been that the general data protection regulation had extended and clarified the realm of applicability to some US companies, but also that European companies are under ever more pressure in transferring personal data to the US. The European Union is a trade zone originally. It was called the European Economic community when they started looking at harmonizing data protection law. And the main goal was to make it easy for companies to cooperate within the block and transfer data across borders. So the official title of what is now often referred to as the data protection directive was really about the free flow of data in Europe. And it was kind of a compromise to say, if we're all trusting each other with data, the Germans and the Spaniards and the French and the Brits at the time before Brexit, then we do need to have a prohibition from just transferring it onward somewhere else. And that was in the directive of 1995. That was there to allow more cooperation, more sharing, more flow within Europe. And this prohibition of transferring to the US wasn't a real big deal in the first years because there was a general understanding that the US has privacy laws too. And the commission worked out a compromise where U.S. companies could sign up for a voluntary program, the Safe Harbor program, and commit to basically complying with the European rules. And then European companies could share data with them just as if they were in Europe. 
But after the Snowden revelation, a lot of distrust came about. The situation got very politicized. And the court of justice, after long proceedings, held that that decision didn't take surveillance and other threats to European data into account, and therefore invalidated the commission decision declaring US law adequate. The replacement privacy shield didn't do much better because, quite frankly, surveillance practices haven't changed that much. Yeah, the NSA has appointed a data protection officer, and there have been some attempts to appease the Europeans by giving them direct rights. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of the same concerns still exist, and therefore the privacy issue went down. And right now, today, European companies are prohibited from sharing any personal information with the U.S. company be it its own parent company or a business partner, B2B, unless they have the standard contractual clause in place. There are a few alternatives, but that's the most realistic one. They just came out. On top of it, they need to conduct and document an impact assessment, getting comfortable that the US company will really comply with this and not provide the same data to US authorities on request or in connection with surveillance. So, that's a real pressure on the European companies. Now, US companies are affected because they want to do business with European companies, and because some of the European companies are actually subsidiaries of US companies, and so they're indirectly affected more or less, and now want to create as much as they can in terms of adequacy to give the European companies some comfort for it. That's the current status, and that's the big picture, <clears throat> that there is this pressure on the European companies not to share data anymore with the US, at a time when, of course, data is such an important part of the economy, the definition of personal data is so unreasonably broad, it's just a name or an email address that a complete enforcement of this prohibition would bring transatlantic corporation to a grinding halt. And that is part of uh, leverage of negotiating trade arrangements. And originally this was all about free trade within Europe, and so the EU also uses this a little bit to reset trade negotiations. We had a pretty aggressive administration here in the United States in the last four years that was taking a harder line on trade with allies. And so the Europeans in some ways retaliated with also taking a hard line on what's important to them, including the protection of personal data. Well, if all of this is a, around trade, it seems that especially now, if relationships have reset a little bit, there should be some kind of possibility for, for a deal. Um, is there a possibility for a deal or, and what, would it, what could it look like? The art of the deal, there should be a way to deal and we are dealing and we're still doing business with each other and the US is an important ally of the Europeans, but it is a little bit difficult institutionally to come to agreements here. Let's look at it from the EU and from the US side, just to understand the dynamics a bit. The commission, the executive branch of the European Union would like the deal and would like to use this to strike trade deals and generally improve the stature of EU law and the ability of the EU to be successful economically. And that's worked great for Japan. Japan and the EU negotiated the reciprocal trade deal. They recognized each other's privacy law as adequate and they're sharing with each other and both sides felt like they reached a good deal. 
But it's a little harder with the U.S. now that the rhetoric has become so exaggerated, the politicization. And there's different institutions on the negotiating table or behind the table now. The data protection authorities in the member states are very independent. They have to be organized in an independent way. In fact, Germany was reprimanded by the EU because the authorities weren't independent enough. So are there these government bodies that are way more independent than even say the FTC is here in the United States in the sense that they're just supposed to take care of privacy and the appointments at the age that are not political and they're supposed to take care of this. Also, the court of justice is independent. That's the body that declared the privacy shield invalid before the safe harbor invalid and the commission is kind of hesitant to negotiate a third deal if it's declared invalid again. And this court is independent there's a judge from every member state on the court. My uncle served for many years and was proud to tell the family that that is the motor of integration. The court was really the one that forged the EU together in the sense that it removed trade obstacles one after the other. And privacy was a trade obstacle. And the court still really views that as the primary role and a real important policy goal to not allow the member states, the individual independent data protection authorities on a national level, or the national constitutional courts start challenging EU law and the primacy of EU law on the basis that this is not permissible under local constitutional law. So the German Supreme Court that cares a lot about privacy has said, we will step back so long as the EU takes good care of civil rights and particular data protection. And so the court feels they have to be extra strict, even if that means damage to the EU-US relations, because otherwise the Germans and maybe some other member states will start challenging the supremacy of EU law and then come up with their own national solutions, which is not acceptable to the court. Plus, there is the EU parliament, which has its own issues. It's somewhat less powerful than the other institutions, and it's less accountable. And it always has criticized the EU-US relations, the parties that sit there um, are very vocal about concerns that they have. And that makes it harder for the commission to come up with a deal here. Let's look at the US side. The US is taking a completely different approach to data privacy regulation. I personally think a very successful one. And I would refer to the great work that Professor Paul Schwartz has done, for example, in the article preemption of privacy in the Yale Law Journal, and that Chris Hufnagel has done when he looked at how the FTC has protected privacy with a strong focus on individual harm, specific situations rather taking this prohibitive regulatory approach. Hard for the US now <clears throat> to move to the European um, realm when in reality the US has worked quite well. We have a much stronger IT um, and, and data-driven innovation and economy here in Silicon Valley. And these products are used around the world. So arguably the Europeans with this restrictive approach haven't really protected the people any better. So that makes it harder for the US to move towards this regulatory approach. Plus the US has a strong policy emphasis on free speech, free information, economic freedom. And this regulatory approach that Europe took is um, alien to the US and probably hard to defend in some ways for constitutional challenges. On top of it, the U.S. was attacked 9-11, and the Snowden revelations of these large-scale surveillance programs that are not very popular with a lot of U.S. citizens either 
were a reaction in the interest of national security that the U.S. thinks is necessary and has to be pursued. And I think that's actually pretty bipartisan. And so the U.S. also doesn't want to concede on national security. Plus, the U.S. feels it's a little bit hypocritical of the Europeans to completely rely on the U.S. for national security, don't pay their share at NATO, and constantly call the U.S. for help against domestic terror attacks, and then at the same time complain if there's too much surveillance going on. So there's that political feeling as well. After all, some of the attackers that flew the planes into the buildings and killed thousands of people in New York, they were hiding out in the autonomous zone in Hamburg in the Hafenstraße. That's an area where the police gave up and left-wing government let people do whatever and harboring these extremists. And so the U.S. feels they do need to keep an eye on it. So long as the borders are open, trade is open with Europe, um, the U.S. has to also conduct some intelligence with the Europeans. So that makes a deal a little harder with these hardened positions, so to speak, and also with the different institutions that work here. Now, the U.S., on top of it, and this is how I get to teach California privacy law here next spring, um, California made things even more complicated by taking this extremely strong initiative on a state level that was signed off by the people in a popular ballot initiative. In fact, there were two ballot initiatives, but one actually did go through in the general election. And so that's another wild card. So even if the federal government does certain things, there's a, on top of it, there are now uh, state activities that are going towards the European measure. And of course, whatever California does is greatly opposed to in Texas and Florida and other states, which doesn't make it easier to negotiate this. You make it sound really bleak, like the, the two government can't get along at all and there's no real hope for, for any kind of deal at the, the government level. Right? Is that that what we're left with? And if so, what's the future look like? I think it will be difficult to have a real brilliant deal where everything is signed off on. I think the situation is too difficult. But I also think that companies will find a way. So as bleak as I drew the technical situation, which we're teaching in law school and which I'm advising companies on in my private practice, as much as I'm seeing that there's still a huge amount of cooperation, I think the Europeans are also realizing that they do need to U.S. technologies in order to stay competitive. Their companies want to use our technologies. Their police wants to work with the U.S. Uh, law enforcement authorities on many matters. And so there's enough forces at work that I think we will model along. I hope that companies won't get too much between sides and I feel bad for my clients that they sometimes get in the middle of this now and to give you one example on a practical side U.S. companies and I tell my clients I've told them a week after this uh, privacy shield decision came out last July you now have to help your subsidiaries you have to help your customers you have to draft these impact assessments to show that you can comply with the European law which 98 percent of my clients can um, they just have to up their game a little bit. They have to draft better procedures. Unfortunately, I have to spend um, extra resources on privacy compliance and, and on training people and so on, which I think some Americans welcome and think that's a good idea. And it will make the companies better and more competitive also for U.S. privacy law compliance. 
Um, others think it's a little bit overdone. Personally, I was critical in the pandemic where the economy is already suffering now to dump the CCPA and then all these new European privacy um, requirements on companies. And I did come out with a paper uh, last uh, May, Healthy Data Protection, that I had written before the pandemic, but it became even more prevalent where I'm thinking that some of the requirements have become unhealthy. I think we're overdoing it. The contact tracing became impossible. Now the vaccination data handling is becoming too hard. So my sense is that EU, US will model along, US domestically will model along, the Europeans will model along, and everybody will realize that the requirements that are being put on companies, on public sector, are not ideal, have to be improved. And my hope is that we will at some point see federal legislation here in the United States that will make things simple on a state level. I would hope that the states are streamlining privacy laws rather than passing five new ones every year, that they'll have a rule where for every new one they're going to revoke, repeal, or amend some of the older ones to, to let companies still comply with it. That's a hope. Or we'll just have preemption in the federal law. If the states are unwilling to do that and being completely unhelpful and unrealistic, then I think there needs to be preemption to start fresh. And with that, maybe appease the Europeans enough that they won't escalate individual proceedings. But I don't see a good basis for a whole new deal. And if we try to replace safe harbor with privacy shield, maybe now with privacy super shield or Shield 2.0 or something, I'm just not hopeful that that would survive again in front of the court of justice. And I don't know that the U.S. can concede enough here to meet the court's requirements for the reasons that I mentioned. I'm not even sure, being a German and U.S. lawyer and professor, I'm not even sure that many European member states could comply with the requirements that the court has formulated. They are so far out of line with reality that. Um, a, a brilliant deal, a, a silver bullet, a great solution where everybody comes to the table and says, let's sign this and we're done. That is not possible. But I think we'll muddle along and I think some of these um, conflicts and difficulties will be drowned out just by the general course of business and going on and collaborating and having new products and innovation, having other um, items to face. And so ultimately my my view in the future for transatlantic data transfers is not bleak. I think we will continue to cooperate. I'm just thinking it may be hard for some of the companies that get in the middle of these um, conflicting forces. I also have a positive outlook for the students that are studying this and that are taking the classes that, that Paul teaches and Chris Hufnagel and um, they will have very good careers because there's a lot of work to be done for the next generation to make this all better and more realistic and work together. And I think the world is uh, hopeful for Berkeley to keep coming out with great innovation and have one of our own appointed as a um, one of the um, commission members for the new California Privacy Commission. So that uh, Berkeley will keep leading the world here on better solutions, I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, perfect. And thank you for your, your time today. It gives us something to, to think about and something to watch for the future. Thank you, Wayne.